Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance and defining happiness and success. My name is Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show and on this episode I'm talking to Lawrence and Carlos, the founders of the Happy Startup School. So welcome to 2018, hope it's treating you well. I've been back in the groove for like a week and a half and I'm now going away. I'm going to go for a couple of weeks uh, to get my annual kind of winter vitamin D and sun fix and scheming and planning kind of fix and all of that. So taking a ba- massive stack of books, massive stack of paperwork, and I'm just going to be asking the sea on a few things. Uh, it's just always what I do at this time of year is um, sometime in the winter, try and ask the sea what I want for the year ahead. And the sea always knows the answers. Uh, so, um, yeah, I hope that doesn't sound too hippie, but that's that's how it rolls for me. Uh, so this episode is Lawrence and Carlos. Uh, really love this one. This was probably certainly one of my favorite conversations to have. And we get into so many different topics here. So we talk about uh, their role as founders, how they work together, some of their views on stuff like networking uh, and um, building community. And a really interesting conversation about the whole notion of lifestyle businesses and whether lifestyle businesses are a good thing or a bad thing. And um, uh, some of the sort of negative connotations with a lot of the stuff that goes on in the kind of entrepreneur and business space. So really, really interesting. Two guys who I think have totally uh certainly got well mapped out views on work-life balance and happiness and what makes that stuff tick and just have a really good orientation around their own lives of like what they what they want to achieve and uh how they set about doing that so really brilliant conversation two guys who are very present very open and uh really inspiring so i'm really hoping you're going to get loads from this because i I really love doing it and um uh, so much so that i'm actually going to be taking part in their altitude uh full week immersion thing in uh, june uh, of this year so really looking forward to spending a lot more time with them as well Uh, so let's get into it so here's Lawrence and carlos we are in platform nine which is a new co-working space in brighton very fancy and also coincidentally where think productive my business are moving to in march april time uh, this year we're actually ditching our we have our own space at the moment in hove and we're ditching that to uh, be in the co-working vibe and have shared office desks and all that stuff so um uh, i say we i'm never there like i'm at home in my shed uh, being a hermit but like the rest of the team will be there and that's where i'll end up uh, going for meetings and stuff like that so looking forward to that so we're in platform nine we're in the brighton platform nine as opposed to the hove one uh on uh in a nice kind of uh, sort of canopied sort of meeting table kind of space but there is a bit of background noise at times here there's like a few people walking past and stuff like that but hopefully that just kind of adds to the the kind of co-working atmosphere that you hear in the background so uh, let's get into it here's lawrence and carlos from the happy startup school uh right so we're here at platform nine uh i'm with lawrence and carlos the founders of happy startup school how you doing good thank you mm-hmm. could be better could be better uh <laughs> I did tell me about your yeah, I, I had right an unfortunate encounter with a car, or the side <laughs> of a car and a wing mirror, uh, and I came a little worse off, but um, I had my helmet on, so you remember to always have your helmet <laughs> on in the bike, uh, and other than a cut hand and a bit of a sprain maybe, I came off okay. So you come off okay, so this is always the thing about control, isn't it, is mm-hmm. that you can be in control of your own actions, but then like if some idiot wants to... 
uh, turn left <laughs> when you're going forwards and things like that. I, remember, yeah. I think I saw quotes yesterday. It's like life. Life is the thing that gets in the way while you're planning to do something else. Yeah, it's that thing. Shit happens. Yeah. <laughs> so this nearly didn't happen. Was it? Were we in jeopardy of having to reschedule this? I think if it was probably a serious injury, it might have put it in jeopardy. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. No, I meant like yesterday, where you sort of. No, yes, it's one of those happened. things. It was actually when it was happening, I was very, very calm. Yeah. In shock, but it wasn't like panic or anything, and it was. It's that contrast for when you're like doing like, for instance, running a business. Loads of things in your head. You're always thinking about tomorrow, yesterday, or so. Then it was a purely, I'm here now. <laughs> That's what matters. Yeah. I'm just going to sit yeah. here. I was sat in the middle of the road for about five minutes just thinking, I'm just going to stay here for a bit. Because <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm okay. Very mindful. Very. Well, just, yeah, exactly. Really just, all right. Just everybody, checking every part of my body. Is that okay? Yeah. And then thinking about, do I need an ambulance? Do I need to walk somewhere or anything else? Are you touching your head thinking, am I a ghost or is it still the real world? <laughs> have that whole conversation. My yeah. life flashing. No, it was more of a case of, how did I get here then? <laughs> <laughs> I remember one thing and then there's about three seconds of my life that just went away and now I'm here. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, good that we're here. It's very cold though today, isn't it? It like, feels like a... Yeah, cold we, wind today. We did allude to this earlier that uh, maybe it's an age thing, but um, yeah, getting it feels like cold bones. <laughs> you start to say things that your parents used to say. Can't and, get warm. And can't, think, I can't get. Did warm I just today. say that? Yeah, yeah. yeah you so um, <laughs> exactly. Agree. So we're sat here with cups of tea, trying to <laughs> trying to huddle around the heat of platform nine. Yeah. So amongst many things, we'll probably touch on and talk about. Um, I want to talk about the the whole notion of being a founder and being co-founders. And you guys with Happy Startup School, I mean, maybe we'll start with just talking about what you guys do. But it'd be interesting to also know a bit more about how you found each other and how you decided to start a business together and all of that. So should we start with that story? Maybe just start with um, what is Happy Startup School for people who've not come across it yet? Um, when we first started, it was about 2012, almost five years to the day, wasn't it? Um, and back then we thought of ourselves as just an alternative business school really people who you know for people who wanted to start businesses but money wasn't their their sole driver <clears throat> there was something else going on um, but I think more than that since then it's really turned into community so off the back of the us setting up and I suppose the ethos of what we're about it tends to attract people who believe in doing business differently and so now when we describe what we do we really talk about community as the heart of it um, which you know doesn't really sell people what you do, but I think ultimately that's what we are doing is creating a community of people who believe in um, you know ultimately creating a happier world and using business as a force for good. And uh, you know we offer lots of different things within it, you know programs and experiences, but ultimately, yeah, it's it's an idea and the idea spread and that's helped us to to get to where we are today, really. And Lawrence, we first met because you invited me to come to your summer camp. Yeah, um, thing a couple of years ago, and I couldn't come, and I sent you some books. And I remember things. that, yeah. Um, but so was that the was that the first main event that you were involved in summer camp, or were you doing other things before that? So we used to. So myself and Carlos were actually in business together since two thousand and four. We used to run a digital agency, a design oh, right. design studio, and so um, we kind of, uh, I suppose, earned our apprenticeship running events whilst running that company. Towards the end, we used to run some design events in London. Uh, my background's in UX design, so we used to run a thing called UX Cafe, which got really popular. Mm. Every month we get 150 people together. And so, yeah, we kind of learned how to put on experiences and build a community around that. And then when we came up with the idea of a happy startup school, we kind of already had that experience under our belts. And so 
the summer camp was our first big event but we did lots of smaller meetups and gatherings before that just to I guess find out do people care and that was what we yeah. started with is it's kind of summer camp was the event that we'd always we'd been looking for ourselves um, we in the digital sort of and agency world it was very much about techniques and processes and we go to these events and hear some amazing speakers about the next new thing and how to deal with customers and how to build websites but actually the interesting stuff was when you actually met people and had really interesting conversations about what was going on for them and that was usually squeezed in a coffee break 15 minutes between right, one talk right. and another so for us the important part of any event was really connecting with people and I think relates to what Lawrence was talking about in terms of community what started off as a thing about startups and building businesses from scratch ended up about doing stuff together supporting each other feeling like you're not alone on this journey and that's another thing about when we were running the agency it felt like it was a very much a competitive arena it's about agents all agencies across Brighton competing for the same kind of business not really wanting to share much well, actually, we found through the Happy Startup School and the people we've met, the more you share, the more you actually gain as a group mm. because stuff that other people found relevant can... Or some, your experiences are relevant to other people and vice versa. And you shortcut some of the challenges you had before. And also, I think you build resilience and feeling like you know, running a business is hard. Uh, as a co-founder, it becomes a little bit easier because there's two of you. But if you're on your own... It's a lonely journey, yeah. and there's always stuff that you think you've done wrong, or you, other people are doing better than you. And I think if you can create an environment and the space where you actually feel like saying you're screwing up isn't a bad thing, I think that helps. Mm. For sure, um, loneliness is one of those things that you you'll very rarely hear a CEO or a self-employed person talk about that as being mm. part of the job description. But it generally it always is, right? And yeah. Especially once you have a team, there's always a certain amount that you can share with your team and certain things that you have to you know maybe hold back for them or certain things that you have to do that they're not going to have to do and, yeah. and all of that so there's always that kind of sense of isolation i guess and so bringing people together i guess is a huge yeah huge i think value created that relates to hierarchy as well i think like within the traditional business there's a real fixed hierarchy and we also saw that with events there's a fixed hierarchy there's speakers and there's attendees and what we've found with our events and our retreats it's like actually if you just lower that flatten that out a bit and a bit like how a lot of businesses are trying to go and kind of losing middle management and becoming more holocratic or whatever it is yeah you actually start to see there's leaders everywhere uh, and if you can have create that transparency a bit of trust a bit of um, clarity as to where you're all going then I think that could lead to a way of doing business a way of running events a way of gathering that's a bit more human than just this kind of there's a lone genius telling everyone what to do and everyone's like a machine other than the person pulling the strings. Yeah, especially at conferences and events where you get this sort of guru mentality thing of yeah. this person the <clears throat> expert and stuff. So you, you guys shared a thing with me a little while ago which was, you know, a, a, I think it was a Medium post about the ethos with the Happy Startup School and, and Altitude, which maybe we'll come on to as well. Yeah. And it was about the whole the whole event being the coffee break like yeah. so rather than there being you know this very structured content and there isn't time to get into some of that more human relationship stuff that the whole thing is that so yeah. maybe just talk a little bit about that and um and why why do you think that's an important thing yeah well i think like you said um i guess going back to your first point about it being a lonely journey um i think one thing one thing we found that people struggle with on that is 
they're not lonely people, right? They've got friends, they've got family around them. But the loneliness being no one gets it. No yeah. one gets what it takes to lead or to, to run something and to challenge convention. Particularly if you want to do business differently too. You're not following the traditional path, but you're actually thinking, no, I'm not going to take you know, the money. I'm going to do something that's more meaningful for me. Um, so kind of that's why these gatherings happen for us is like it's a lonely place so therefore these forums are important but I think also having been like pushed to the extreme of like events where every minute is programmed and everything's spoon fed to you um, I think the hardest part as an event organiser is actually to, to stand back you know mm-hmm. I remember seeing a great talk a couple of years ago at a um, conference I went to and the guy talked about hosting and he said you know great hosts know when to step forward but they also know when to step back um, which I found really powerful and for me that was you know for any event we run we try to like put in all that hard work beforehand design it in a way that feels true to what the vision is but at the same time trying not to then you know micromanage every situation that happens yeah, yeah. and putting a lot of faith in uh, the people that come really because that's what it comes down to is like our job is to get the right people there and once the right people are there in the right setting then we have to kind of let go a bit and that post mm. was really about that is the leap of faith we take every time we do these things even though they always work like before we went to the US for that event that we wrote about um, you know part of me still thinking maybe this is the one where it all goes wrong you know right. because the easiest thing to do is just bring in speakers bring in workshop leaders you know it's going to be you know a 9 out of 10 um, but the real value happens in the emergent space right so our leap of faith is okay well we trust that these people in this place will come to the right conclusions together and we'll help facilitate it but we can't guarantee the outcomes, and that's the that's the unknown. It's like we even sell it on that basis to people. We say you don't expect to come away with a kind of silver bullet for how to run your business or to lead a perfect life. But you know, whatever questions you've got, you'll probably get the answer somewhere, whether it's from you, you know, having that space, or mm. from others just you know questioning you or prodding prodding you and asking the right questions there too. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's a different way of thinking about these things that we've seen is really valuable but equally for some people they just find it too hard to get their head around because it's too different to what they're used to and what they've been brought up with i can imagine as the person organizing that event and and being responsible and having your brand on the line every time you do an event i guess the the sort of fear of that is that thing of oh what if this is the one where it goes wrong what if this collapses and stuff what do you find the attitude of the participants is so do you get a lot of people who are kind of sold on the idea of it and that's why they paid the money but then they're still a little bit fearful of is this going to be am I joining some kind of cult here is this going to be really weird like you know <laughs> yes, to, yeah, all kinds yes of, to all those things yeah um, just because it is so different to the idea of going to you know a, a, a few days or a week long event yeah. where essentially there is no content except what's created by you yeah. I mean that's quite that feels quite nervy for participants yeah. as well as for you guys as organisers so yeah I think it's there's a lot of trust right so I think one thing we found is we've been going almost five years some people come on our events or have come on our events over the last few months who literally have been following us that whole time mm. and that's the first event they've come to right okay so yeah. there's definitely a long lead time between someone becoming aware of us and then yeah. coming on an experience like that at the same time there's a lot of people who haven't taken that long um, but I guess what it's about is you know there was a woman who came to summer camp from New York on her own I was chatting to her like late at night over the campfire and that kind of hit to me wow she's flown on her own she doesn't know anyone here yeah. 150 strangers in a field in the middle of nowhere in Sussex <laughs> um, that's a massive amount of trust she's put in us to come to that powerful isn't it yeah. yeah so you know luckily it was a really powerful experience for her but equally you realise there's a real responsibility right um, 
So in answer to your question, I guess, yes, the recent event we did in the US, some people came who run events themselves, who are facilitators, who, you know, lead teams, lead companies, leads or, or lead change in, in other people's companies. Um, and a lot of them were saying, look, we really want to know how does it actually work, you know, because yeah. they want to do it themselves too, right? And so even though they knew us and, and loved what we did, they still, at the end of the week, when we did a little sort of share, share back, they were like, yeah, wow, I just... I thought it'd be good, but it's just blown my mind, you know. Mm. So that's nice to hear that they had high expectations and it's still delivered. I, sorry. I was going to say, just to add on to that, I overheard three of them talking uh, about, you know, what were you thinking when you get here? And they said they were, the, they were at the airport when they arrived and they were just looked at each other, I have no fucking clue up here. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea why I'm here, but I'm just going to take it as nice. it goes. This uh, Tracy, a girl from Seattle, came in and she said when she just walked into the, the log home we had, she just got a feeling that everything was fine, you know, so she was terrified. But the first second she got there, she thought, this is good, I can be myself, mm. which is a nice thing to hear too, so. And is that, is, is that for you the only bit that you do have to consciously design is making sure that that trust is there at the very beginning? That, <coughs> that first impression must be a huge thing when people arrive there in terms of putting people at ease and letting that happen organically so is that something that you do design a bit the kind of opening spiel and welcome and sort of what's the yeah, process then? I'd say it, was, it even starts before to be honest you yeah know, definitely before. like we we do a few things beforehand to actually um sort of onboard people i guess in a way mm-hmm. you know given our backgrounds my backgrounds in design like designing experiences right, is something yeah, i love doing yeah. so putting thought into what's it like from their position is, is something we always try and do um, but yeah ultimately it's about how we host and, and welcome them to the space you know despite what we've done before it's how, how people treat you really isn't mm, it yeah. so um, yeah I think fundamental is the way you communicate what's going to happen um, and I think the tricky thing and one of the challenges with this kind of business is you can't convince people to come you can't you know if they're not in the, the right space you can't say this is, you know, you must do this. They've already yeah. got to be more or less there. And it's much more of, I, I need this, and this is why I'm coming. And it's that, um, how you present that, how you create an image that this is actually a safe space the way you want to be, and you're going to get the breakthroughs you need. That is it's partly like how communities are built. It's, you can't force people to join a community. They want to be part of it because it aligns with what they want to do anyway. Yeah. So really, that's core, I think, to having people in that space because it's not only having people come it's them behaving in the right way when they're there mm. and that's our, our job is there is to like and Lawrence does a lot of the curation making sure the right people come so there's how we present it so people like that's something I really need to do who we allow in but then when they're in making sure that the, the way they interact is or we create the space that's safe enough for them to behave they want to be and the breakthroughs to come yeah <clears throat> Uh, I want to go back to the founder thing in a minute as well, but um, <laughs> the curation thing, let's mm. pick up on that. So uh, I was at a mutual friend of ours birthday party a mm. couple of weeks ago and you walked in and you knew half the room. <laughs> and I was like, Lawrence just knows everyone in Brighton. And I just knew the guy whose birthday it was and another friend who unfortunately for me was working behind the bar that night. <laughs> so um, it just sort of struck me that a big part of that curation for you mm. Um, and running a business that is about community and, a, and about people, it must be a big part of your job, the kind of networking and knowing people and, and, and maintaining a network of people. So yeah. maybe just talk a little bit about that and, and how, how do you do that? How do you approach it? How do you navigate it? Um, I don't call it networking. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the weird thing, I think, is like 
it feels like we've been a built a community of people who hate work, networking mm. or built a network for people who hate networking um, so yeah I think I've always just um, liked I've always been interested in people I guess um, but at the same time I think when we first started out we didn't feel at home in many business settings so like Carlos mentioned some of the events you go to were um, pretty dry or just didn't really align with our values so much so mm. I think for us particularly being in Brighton you meet loads of great people doing great work and so I've always been fascinated by people and their stories and so for me it's like collecting great people bringing them together really that's, that's what I do it's not it's not it's not, as, it's not any more difficult than that um, so it's like panini stickers yeah, yeah stickers. exactly yeah. <laughs> um, and so the good thing about that is like particularly at summer camp where it's a bigger event 150 people you know that even if maybe one of the talks didn't strike a chord with you, every conversation you have is going to be great, you know. Mm. And that's why we have an application process for the events. Um, trying not to be elitist or anything, but really it's just trying to make sure, A, people get that it's, you know, there's a limited amount of people, right? So, and that's important to us too. It's not about having 5,000 people in a, an event because it wouldn't be the same feeling. Even if you could sell that amount of tickets, it's not important to us. Um, so the, the key thing for me is... Um, for people to really want to be there, like Carla said, it's important for them to actually think about why they want to be there, and that's why we have an application process. But then also just to get the right mix of people, because otherwise, you know, we could bring, you know, 25 designers to the US with us from Brighton. That's not the point, you know. We want to bring a diverse group of people together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a mix of men and women, which, again, doesn't happen at many business networking events, um, mix of different backgrounds and different sectors and just different life experiences, really, all brings to the mix of what we're trying to create. Uh, so I'm going to bring it back to the founder thing. Mm. So Lawrence and I have known each other since we were at primary school. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Wow. So we were friends before founders. We weren't on the lookout for yeah. each other as <laughs> co-founders at the age all. of seven. Uh, and one of, so when we ran the agency, at one point, there was a period where we think, all right, what are we going to do next? Are we going to grow this thing? What does it mean to grow this thing? How is it going to evolve? And that was a soul-searching exercise as to why are we in business in the first place? Why are we doing this stuff? So we had this exercise of what are our values, blah, blah, blah. But one of the things that came out of it was like to kind of talk like friends, to be in an environment where you feel like you can trust each other. And so that was core to business for us. And the thing I think about, net- when I think about networking, I think about transactions and business cards mm, and yeah. finding the next big client. Yeah. But actually, it's friend finding, like Lawrence was saying. It's like, how do you meet a bunch of people that you actually enjoy being around? Because, again, that was a criteria for people we wanted to work with. Could you spend time with them? And then through that, what business can happen? Mm. And, and we found that, actually, Altitude was born out of making a friend at summer camp. And uh, Goa, um, Ashram, our India retreat, was made out of making a friend at Altitude. And the US, again, snowballed from that because we met some people from the States that we really enjoyed being with, and they got what we did. So it, it is... I think the founder, th- tying it back to the founder thing, is we, we came together because we, at the time, we had a complementary set of skills, but fundamentally we wanted to work with people we trusted and we enjoyed being around. And I think that's kind of core to, to a happy business. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think that's, that's the journey and the lens that we look at business through, that idea of actually merging those two sides of your friend life and your work life. Yeah, even though most people say don't go into business with friends or family. Yeah, friends, yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you? Is there a flip side to that then? So, is are there perils to that? Are there difficulties to that? 
you know, what, how, how, how have you guys navigated lower moments? There's definitely friends that I wouldn't want to go into business with. Mm. But I think, yeah, I think the thing is, it's, it's not about the friends thing. You know, friends is going to help because there's trust. But ultimately, it's what do you both want out of the business? If one, someone wants to grow rapidly and the other one doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you're friends or not. Yeah. It's not going to work. Yeah. I think both of us, we kind of took the slow route to building businesses. We weren't interested in fast growth. Neither of us were really keen on having a massive team to manage. Uh, we both valued other aspects of our lives rather than just the work. We enjoyed doing the work as well as managing a business. Actually, enjoyed doing the work not as much as managing a business. So there's, there's lots of overlaps in what we wanted from our work. Mm. A lot of people would just describe mm. that as a lifestyle business. Whatever. It was something that worked for us. And I think that's part of the happy startups was redefining what does it mean to do business. Particularly now in this day and age where these hierarchical structures are being disrupted, these big businesses are actually going folding because of these smaller things called startups. They're doing things differently. And we've just been doing things intuitively since then. So for me, the I don't think there's a, a downfall of being friends in business or a positive of being friends in business. It's just it was a bonus for us. But it's fundamentally what you want to do as co-founders, really, I think. Yeah. The in, what's interesting for me is that, so I had a co-founder with Think Productive with my business for quite a short period of time at the beginning, and it became quite quickly evident that I wanted to grow much more quickly. I was really ambitious for it. I had a certain vision for it. And my co-founder at the time was interested in it wanted to sort of play in that space but just didn't have that drive mm -hmm. and so what was very quickly evident because there wasn't really money to pay either of us and there wasn't a, an easy way of differentiating the two workloads was I was putting in loads more time and feeling mm. that, like I wasn't getting the support that I wanted and, and so on and we ended up finding a a different way of resolving that where he then still inputted to the business but not as a shareholder anymore and not as a co-founder anymore um, so I've experienced that that thing of where you're in a situation with a, a sort of tension amongst co-founders. So I just wondered if you'd ever had tensions like that between you. It sounds like you're really aligned now, but has that mm. always been the case or has there been... I think we've had, like any relationship, you have your ups and downs. But mm. I think, like Carlos, I think we've been quite lucky in that we've grown, like, I suppose, our people together. Like in terms of, um, you know, we've had sort of families around the same time so that's kind of worked too is like we haven't yeah. had that conflicting yeah. you know say one of us had kids one didn't you know we when we were running speak studio the agency we um yeah we almost deliberately just stopped you know looking to grow the team and just kind of had a year or two where we were just focused on young families and, and ticking along you know and that was fine for that time and then um i think more recently we've started to look much broader the, you know the vision for happy startup school is way bigger I'd say than the agency and so now as we're getting older and the kids are growing up a little bit we can now start to think about okay how can we make a bigger impact and um, yeah essentially the belief grows too as you as you work together as a team and as a business so um, not just looking as like having a handful of clients but like how can we build something global and, and work in that way but still I think going back to the point of yeah staying sane like still serves you as people and not just the business so um, For sure. that's um, okay Actually, the workshop back in um, early this year we ran. Um, it was a co-founder workshop. So a friend of ours, Tom Mixon, his party went to, went to oh, right. it. And he, um, we were, so we were actually just one of the teams as part of that. And that was a really useful exercise because it gets you to kind of connect outside of the day-to-day. -day. We went to the woods um, in Sussex. And he just ran a bunch of exercises um, 
but I think that's really important for like co-founding teams to have that time away from the day-to-day business yeah, um, yeah. where you can just have those difficult conversations and I was going to ask if you do that on a regular basis do you have a sort of an- annual appraisal where the two of you are appraising <clears throat> the business together or you know do you have a have a sort of a rhythm of that having time out or is that just something that comes up when those opportunities like that come up I guess we're quite lucky in that we do these gatherings and we, we tend to use them as a, a way for us right. to get support too. Yeah. Um, and that's actually, I think, one of the things that people have told us makes it work is like we're equally as vulnerable and, mm. and um, part of it as everyone else. I think there's that whole thing about um, scratch your own itch. Yeah. A lot of this stuff yeah. that we do is there because we wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, being away in the mountains and having the time to talk, that's, that's our time to talk as well as everyone else's. Um, yeah, there's no. I, I think if let's just put it one thing. One thing we've never been guilty about is formal structures. Yeah, <laughs> and mm. so it's it's been a much more organic approach to stuff. So I think, and this is the other thing that I think probably rubs up against more traditional business thinking. It, it's been very much more instinctive, much more based on trusting what might happen, uh, based on trust. Full stop. And, and not so much on all right. This is the this is the only plan, and this is the only strategy, and this is the formula that we'll follow. And it's benefited us in ways, and it's, it means slower pace. I think. Yeah. And that's the that's the big thing. We, you know, there are agencies that started at about the same time as us, or probably even after us, that have grown much faster, much bigger, bought buildings, bought each other, done stuff. Um, but it was never the thing that we wanted. I think that's the other thing we're trying to look at, like. Or that we'll try, we talk about is really being true to your own definition of success. And what is that? And not follow necessarily a path, someone else's path, if it really doesn't really fit with what you want to do? Yeah, I think a lot of people, and I don't think this is limited to entrepreneurs at all, but I think a lot of people in whatever career they're in do feel... You know, there's this pressure to conform to the stereotypical norm. And there is a stereotypical norm around startups and entrepreneurs about, you know, you need to get investment at this point, you need to grow really quickly to this point, and then you need to look for an exit and all this kind of stuff. I noticed when you were talking about, um, you said, oh, some people have described this as a lifestyle business, whatever, is what you said a minute ago. And I was thinking, yeah, I mean, what it's, it's quite amazing to me that people have the idea of a lifestyle business as being a bad thing, right? So like, it's almost quite patronising. Surely, surely it's a bad it. thing if you, <coughs> if your sole purpose is to exit and build another one. But actually, if you really love the work that you're doing, yeah, and well, ultimately you're every, every business, money and, and also you, there are certain benefits of that of not having, you know, funders as bosses, or you know, there's a whole bunch of things mm. that you could tick off as actually being very beneficial to lifestyle businesses. But it's kind of frowned upon a little bit, isn't it? As being somehow not as sexy or not as important as bigger businesses. One of the reasons we wanted to do an event in the US was because of the whole work culture, particularly around entrepreneurship. It's it's quite damaging because it almost um, insinuates there's only one way to do business, right? Which is you kind of sacrifice. And ultimately, a lot of people there think of it as a badge of honor. And so when they see an alternative, it feels challenging to them. So looking at 
some you know for a team of four from Brighton building this thing is like yeah. oh, you guys are off doing your thing and you're not a proper business you're a lifestyle business and like, so I often watch uh, there's a really interesting Twitter debate a few weeks ago between Gary Vaynerchuk and Jason Freed I don't know if you saw that alright no um, so, wow. <laughs> so Jason Freed 37 Signals Basecamp and uh, filling in more for the podcast listeners than for, mm. for you guys I think but uh, you know has, has built by working a really balanced uh, lifestyle mm. he's built a really great thing there you know and it's an amazing business he's got amazing <coughs> ideas about how he wants to run his business and Gary Vaynerchuk pretty much the king of that mm. hustle approach to things I mean he yeah. does very much put it as his badge of honour that he will outwork you and he might not be the smartest guy in the world but he will work harder than anyone yeah. else is willing to work and that's what he's willing to, to do and to sacrifice and I've often seen him you know because he kind of films everything that happens in his life yeah. so I've seen a couple of things where you know people have sent me these clips of him doing sort of seminars to bunches of school kids where mm. he's basically giving young entrepreneurs this advice of don't try and work nine to five work five to nine and then nine to five and then five to nine mm. and then have two hours sleep and then do it all again and and you can see these kids because he's a really charismatic speaker mm. thinking oh this is the answer to everything yeah. just to work like 19 hours a day and, and whatever and so they had this twitter uh, sort of argument where you know Gary I mean Gary Vaynerchuk to give him a bit of credit was also saying well Jason that's how you've done it for you and you're really smart and mm. You know, I'm not saying this is the only way to do it, and I hope I don't come across as saying this is the only way to do it, but it is the way that I want to do it. Yeah. But I sort of, I feel like that whole hustle thing, yes, it would be really threatening you guys mm. coming on, um, along and saying, actually, we're having a really great time doing the work we're doing, and we also have lives outside of this, yeah. and we don't have that ambition. Um, so I think that's like, you know, it's a really sort of powerful disruption to that hustle sort of narrative. But I do think that that, that narrative can be it can be quite dangerous, right? Yeah. Like, it can really mess with people's... Which one? Sort of the, lives, the hustle thing. The hustle. Yeah. I think it's a big fallacy. I think it's it's this big... I think the big fallacy is work faster, work harder, and you'll be more successful. But then there's always going to be someone who's going to work faster than you. And there's there's going to be a physical limit. And there's mm. going to be a physical breaking point to everyone in the world. And, <laughs> yeah. And and it's, it's, it's going to destroy um, people. At some point, yeah, because there's only you know, I think of the hundred meters uh, sprint. Right? There's a, there's going to be a physical limit for which people can run, and at, at some point, someone's going to break because they're yeah. just stretching their money yeah. to the limit. Yeah, but also for me, the other damaging thing is it implies that the more the harder you work, the better the quality, or like the the better work you'll do. Yeah, which I just don't think is true. So. Well, none of, none of the science backs that up. No. Yeah. done studies on this. It's, there's yeah. always a law of diminishing returns, and it happens much sooner than we think it does. And actually, if you're doing knowledge work, it's more like, more like 30, 30 hours than 37 and a half. So, yeah. You know. Um, and I found that, you know, from the work we do, um, it's about energy management. I think, like, knowing yeah. when you work best. You know, I found that the last... So a few months ago, I got a puppy. Like, um, completely random story here, but... Um, <laughs> There's a blog post here somewhere because I was thinking about how it's actually helped me to be more in flow, right? Because I I'm, I work in smaller time slots now because I can't leave more than a few hours, so I tend to like cram my work into a short time span. Yeah. Span. And um, also, given the other work we do, we tend to 
head out into nature more and take people and teams out to the outdoors and go for walks and do things that don't look like work mm. but actually you get breakthroughs that you would never get if you were sat there trying to work till you know burn the midnight oil and, yeah. and work in the traditional sense so for creative ideas and, and innovation and anything to do with running a business generally I think those things aren't things that you can force and so the more you try and force it the more you probably won't get there um, so yeah I think it's damaging for lots of reasons but particularly for those and also the mental health side like we've you know we work with a lot of people who are doing purposeful work and running social businesses often and so when it's something you really care about too giving them that message is is really damaging because it's almost everyone else's well-being is important except your own and so yeah you know the yeah. kind of burnout thing is a real problem and we've even seen in vegas they've got this whole innovation hub and center um set up by tony shea the founder of zappos um all geared around sort of happiness and and well it's, it's a long story but anyway get around that but yeah there's been like lots of suicides of founders there who've had this pressure of building really purposeful businesses and can't really show that it's not working and so mm. um there's that whole yeah how does it look on the outside but how does it feel on the inside and wow so, yeah i think that's links for me to um if it's not working work harder rather than it's not working just stop mm. see is it the right thing to do if it isn't call it quits yeah if it is try and work out a different way of doing it but there's that whole thing of like oh, work harder 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 force force the answer uh, and I don't think that's a good message to put out there particularly since breakthroughs come from <clears throat> times of just when your mind is not so crammed with mm. trying to do stuff and space is it creating yeah, space exactly yeah. to whether it's a shower the toilet or a mountain yeah. <laughs> we need to get Gary Renichick to altitude I think that's, that's probably got to yeah. be on the radar because uh, <laughs> probably just need to pin him down and mm. stop him tweeting for like a day or something yeah for yeah. sure I mean the question I would always want to ask him and I'm going to turn this around and ask it to you is that I, I feel like what he I feel like what he's sort of continuing to push himself towards is is always a it almost feels to me like it's a he has a goal on the end of a fishing rod yeah, it's, it's, it's never quite there it's yeah. never quite enough and I suppose the, you know, I suppose my concern with that is, would he ever get to a stage of enough before, and would he ever get to a stage of enough before he had a heart attack, right? Yeah. Because he's just like just pushing himself, pushing himself like mm. far too hard. And so I wonder if that is a question that you guys have thought about: is you know the boundary of what does success look like and what does happiness look like, and therefore. What what's enough to get me there, and what and how do I feel fulfilled mm. by getting that far, rather than pushing myself to go twice as far? Does that yeah. make sense? Mm-hmm. I think we always try to think of like at what cost, right? It's like oh, we want to do this or grow here, you know, or expand to another country or like grow the team, whatever it might be. And then you start to think of like, okay, what what does that come at the cost of, right? So it could be less time at home or travel or um, I don't know like you'll be managing business not working in it if that's what you want to do so one thing we've always tried to do is one thing we did at a workshop was like how can the business serve me and, and is it serving me now and if it's not how can it serve me better you know for us to be um, for us to have the energy for it right because if, yeah. if the founders of any venture don't have the energy to keep going then it will just either die or investors come in and the founders leave and it's lost the original soul of the, or purpose of the business which often happens so um, I think it's important to ha- keep having those check-ins to say what is it and not even just thinking success but like 
what do I, you know, what do I need from it, and yeah. am I getting it? Yeah. So, um, I, I also look at a very a kind of a deeper level, which is a bit more challenging for people, um, and it relates to. I remember seeing a discussion about what we do on another discussion board, and one person put it that we don't create disruptive businesses; we just like to disrupt business people. And disrupting the business people thing is actually the questioning. Mm. So when I when you the thing the picture that came to my mind when you're talking about Gary Vaynerchuk and the fishing rod. Um, for me, I would interpret that is that he needs to get somewhere because where he is at the moment isn't good enough. So you can start picking into that. It's like why is where he is not good enough? So you can either look at people who are trying to achieve as people who just are never happy in themselves. And so when Lawrence talks about, you know, what is success? What do I really want? Maybe actually, if you did that, you wouldn't be on that journey. But that journey isn't bad as well. If actually, I just want to do stuff. You know, I, and it's that, I think it's a Mahatma Gandhi quote, is like, what I think, what I do, and what I say are all in line. All of that's in tune, and that means making loads of shit all the time and being on it. That's your definition of happiness. That's mm. all good. It's when actually one of those things isn't right. And Gary's doing this thing because... If I don't do this, I'm not going to be top of Twitter net tomorrow. And I, I have to stay ahead of the pack. And also, if I'm not top, then I'm not anything. So if that's the mentality of a business person, then I think you're in trouble. But if your mentality is like, I just need to express myself, and this is how I express myself, that's all good. Hmm. So I think it's that, that questioning of, um, am I good? If I'm good, then what I do doesn't it doesn't matter. But if I don't feel I'm good and I'm going to have to do this to make me good, then I think whether that's business or work or relationships, yeah, then you're in a problem. And that's the stuff. That's the icky stuff yeah. that I think <clears throat> that we touch on as a happy start school that people find a bit uncomfortable and they don't understand how it relates to business. But I think that's like everything to do with business. So the icky stuff being how people see themselves how people see themselves yeah. how they want to express themselves what is they're trying to achieve like one of the one things that comes out of summer camp which is a real weird sort of um, I suppose byproduct of coming to these things is people learn about themselves right they don't necessarily yeah. expect to they come to learn about business or they come to make connections and network and then they go like wow I've actually learned something I didn't know um, so there's a girl who wrote a whole blog post about I think she said something like hello me was the name of the, it was like she went to Sussex and found herself she didn't go looking for it but she found herself and she talked about this idea of acceptance and how she'd gone to try and achieve stuff and actually met loads of people and through some of the workshops people have just relayed stuff back to her observations whatever it might be which she found really powerful and so she came away feeling much more empowered because it was like I've actually got everything I need to do my mm. thing I've got the people around me that I've met but also I'm equipped you know personally with those skills and traits to, to do this thing so that's what we found doing more of these things it is the icky stuff call it what you want but um, they're kind it's of limiting beliefs yeah yeah. and it's the things that yeah. hold you back that you don't actually see are they really kind of on the other end of the scale a story that kind of highlighted it to me was on our first trip to India in Ashram we met a guy called Arun Jain <coughs> runs this design consultant he sold like the cheapest part of it for over I don't know nearly a billion dollars to a, a, um, a US consultancy very rich man but he told us about a story about I think 20 years previously where he his business wasn't going anywhere or he wasn't making the breakthroughs he wanted to break, make and he traced it down he went to some I can't it was a leadership retreat or something he traced it to actually he had this guilt that he had about him and his parents or not looking after his parents and 
whatever that journey was, the so the end point was he found a way to resolve that and he found that after he'd resolved that things just took off and changed mm. and he was able to actually release or be much more powerful as a business person and it's that there's these invisible barriers I think that we can have that we ignore and we work against Yeah, and we've met so many people who do that kind of level of so just looking at introspection in a sense but looking at that other side of work and business that actually will probably create much more benefit for you than learning a new process or technology. What's just coming into my mind there is just something around, how do I explain this well? It, it feels like there's, there's almost like two types of people running businesses. There's the people who put on the costume of business person mm-hmm. and leave themselves at the door and go and do their work. Mm-hmm. And then there's the people that you guys are uh, talking to, working with, and I think modeling yourselves, which is bringing yourselves to work. Because what happened to that guy there is that he changed as a person and then he could change as a business person yeah. as well. And I just, I wonder whether that's something you have experience of and how, <clears throat> and, you know, how people get, uh, how people get away from, from acting in those mm. particular ways or with those particular costumes on or mindsets on yeah. um, you know because there's lots of them isn't there people, yeah. there's people who do all kinds of jobs that are very uh, perhaps very competitive or aggressive and they're not necessarily competitive or aggressive people but they, they can like, put oh, on this is what I need yeah. to do between 9 and 5 because that's how I make money and yeah. people have that limiting belief around it so just interested in your, your thoughts on that idea of being human at work mm. I think it's it can be really d- difficult to lose that you know those beliefs those those traits and behaviors that we picked up over the years you know to suddenly shed that and say right you can now be yourself at work and be authentic and not put on that um put your guard up like you might do um but i think what we've seen is the world's changing right so the workplace is changing the brands we want to buy from uh, are changing people want to really understand the people and the stories behind the products they buy Mm. so i think that's for me is a kind of branding design person or certainly with that background I've always been fascinated by that is like when people used to come to us and say yeah we've got this great product and now we just need to sell it and get the world to care I was like well how are they going to care like how are you going to make them care who's behind it what's the story you know so that's the thing we try and do through our events particularly the talks and um, stories we share are people it's not about look at me and my clever business idea and my product that's you know taking over the world it's like who am I and where did I come from? Oh, and by the way, I just happened to do this amazing thing. But you can see the story and the, the sort of trace it back to where it came from. Um, so I think when people start to hear those stories or see those people, they suddenly become role models for them, right? In terms of, okay, you can sort of live your life in a way or build a business away or go to work every day and, and align that to who you are. Um, it's okay because I've seen these people do it, right? So I think the first thing for us is just surrounding people, surrounding yourself with people who are doing it already. Because then you can see it's possible. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just theory and pie in the sky, uh, from my experience. So I kind of heard that question on two levels. I think there's a level that Lawrence was talking about in terms of uh, in a modern world that is so noisy and so full of brands and ideas, um, how do you stand out? Uh, and I think the people who stand out are the people who are authentic because they make a real strong connection with people. And it's that Simon Sinek thing, start with why. If your why is true, then people will connect to that and that creates stronger relationships, whether that's customers or business relationships. But then there's the other thing, is like people who just go to work. Um, 
and they think they need to be a certain person at work and another person at home. And I think it's like a shackle. Or it's like, actually, you're, there's this thing that there's your work brain and there's your home brain. Mm. There's no separation. And actually, creativity happens when you have connection of different synapses in different parts of your brain. So if you start to siphon, you know, basically cut off a part of your brain because that's your home brain, you're, and you're not relaxed because you're in your work brain, how do you perform? You know, you can perform much more better if you're relaxed, you're happy, you're enjoying what you're doing, you're, you're being yourself. Yeah. As long as you're not an arsehole or a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, I'm always, just thinking about that, I'm always amazed at how, uh, not with quite psychopaths, <laughs> but I, uh, I'm always amazed by when I go in and do productivity workshops with people and one of the exercises is about looking at projects and lists and kind of the stuff that you have on mm-hmm. your plate at any one time. People have this massive need to separate work mm-hmm. and home and when I say oh put it all onto one master list and have a big master list of projects with all your home projects and your work projects because you have the same brain that goes home and goes to work people are really resistant to that mm. idea often and I wonder if that's a cultural thing of yeah. workplaces as well because you can't bring home stuff to work and this uh, alright it might get a bit more complicated now in terms of but it's because I think as a boss or a leader or a manager you, having to deal with someone's emotions as well as their performance is not on their job description mm. when I think it should be Yeah. if you could do that because if you could deal with someone's challenges you know, if someone's had a shit time at home or they've got a young kid and they're coming in and they're knackered to give, have them a hard, give them a hard time because they haven't produced the report isn't going to help you mm. so actually understanding people as a whole human being and being able to deal with people especially mm. have empathy then that's going to be much better for business but because that's harder to do less measurable not something you can scale it's not something business manuals will have I think yeah and I think that's what's well, that's what I think is going to change it needs to change and what we're about in terms of part of that change where you can think of businesses not just as a collection of robots doing something as a collection of people trying to achieve their dreams as a part of a group of people trying to achieve something bigger yeah and so I'm sold on the need to do that and I guess then the paradox becomes you guys are going to want to do that loads and loads more and then you're also going to want to stay true to, your, to whether the business serves you so yeah. do you find a tension and a conflict <clears throat> between yes you, you have a, a question around does the business serve you and, and, and are you creating the right lifestyle to be able to say yes this is what I want to do and I'm, yeah. I'm happy versus and it's the same but I find this a lot when I've worked in charities before and when I know people mm. who work, worked in charities of it just feels like the world is burning there and there's so much to do mm. why wouldn't you work super hard to change as much of that world as possible yeah. so is that a tension that you have I would say yeah I mean it's yes yes is the answer mm. but at the same time we we have to practice what we preach at the same time so um, I would say you know we've tried to always check in and see, make sure that you know life events and stuff that happens to you is, isn't something that you just brush off and move aside so um, I think it's but at the same time it, you need these check-ins right I think you can't, yeah. you can't just let it run away with you I'd say we're probably my feeling is like we've reached our limit in the last year or two of um, like trying to always put other people's needs first you know and I'm not trying to be sort of holier than that now I just mean in terms of probably saying yes too much right you know just simple like can we go for coffee or can just have a call or like you know yeah those things, um, whilst we love doing them, can just sort of zap your energy and time, right? Um, and really damage the business if you're not making money from those interactions. So I think it's the challenge of building 
I guess a community driven business is like how do you manage your time yeah without being without seeming like you're it's a closed shop and you can't come and sort of you know knock on the door so what's your criteria for who you say yes to for coffee because mine is just yeah. will I enjoy the coffee <laughs> like yeah. not the actual coffee but am I going to enjoy the conversation well the trouble so, is we, I mean, you, we, we, we almost always would enjoy the coffee right yeah so like, exactly it, so it makes it even harder um I think what we tried to do, so we, we used to run it, well, still do, but uh, kind of um, getting out of it, run a co-working space in Brighton. It's one of the things that we've, we've had on our plate the last few years. And whilst it's been nice to have that community, like physical community around us day to day, it's actually been challenging for us to um, get any work done because <laughs> myself and Carlos have found ourselves spending less and less time going into the space yeah. because people like being around us and the team and want to want to get some help, right? They want to get the help in their businesses and, and projects. So... Um, naturally that was what we were trying to create but it was almost the downside of that is we then don't have any time to do anything else <laughs> and so that was one of the things that we've had to say look we tried it it didn't work for for us and therefore it's not going to work and so we've had to pull the plug on that Yeah. but at the same time that now means that we can focus on what we do want to be doing and, and really sort of be much more razor focused on that so I guess it's just knowing your limits right and knowing when to like Carlos wrote the whole post about it, knowing when to walk away you know it's easy to start things sometimes yeah it can be really hard to know when to walk away and so having the leap of faith to say right this is this is why we're doing this and yes we might annoy some people but ultimately we can't you know someone said you've got to put your own life jacket on first and that's that's so true so i think that's one thing we always have in mind is yeah as long as we've got energy then it will last otherwise we'll you run out of fuel so the question i heard as well was when there's so much bad stuff happening in the world and things that need to be fixed how could you not stop keep on doing you know trying to do that um and we were at the meaning conference yeah a few weeks ago there's a woman there who was talking about you know just that um and part of it i think is ego because if you think you can fix the world you're really deluded mm. it's really about fix your world the world around you collaborate with other people who can fix the world as well and then there's a group will do it so uh, for me it's like less of oh there's loads of problems out in the world I need to keep on working to fix it no it's like let me do my thing and <clears throat> make the influence I positive as I can where I am and hopefully that's going to inspire other people and connect with other people who are doing their thing and if we're all doing our thing well then we'll fix everything it doesn't take one person not everyone's a Mother Teresa not everyone's a Nelson Mandela but all of us less uh, unsung or more unsung heroes <laughs> can do our own thing yeah. in our own little way then I think the world will be a better place I think this, this pressure to feel like I'm going to change the world yeah. stops people from changing the world huh. that's interesting I think it's um, one thing we've learned is just yeah impacting the world around you and that could be you know starting with your neighbours or your family and I, think, I don't know if it's actually a quote from Mother Teresa but I've seen it attributed to her which is if you want to go and change the world go home and see, you know, look after your family yeah, or something like that. Right. Um, because yeah I can imagine a lot of these entrepreneurs are, aren't present right they're not, they're not focused on the people around us so mm-hmm. I think one thing I've always tried to do is just be present when you're with someone really listen to them right and care about what they're doing um, even though they've probably got a lot of other stuff going on um, so that's kind of um, I suppose it impacted my view of like what impact means right like yeah, there's loads of problems out there, but what can yeah. you what can you do? Because yeah. ultimately, you could inertia will kick in, you'll do nothing because <laughs> you're thinking, oh, where do I start? So, um, I think what we found is like starting with what frustrates you, you know. And we got frustrated by the way we saw um, startups working, business working. So like we're trying to. 
channel our efforts through that. Um, but there's a million other ways you can make an impact. I mean, it could be small or big, but ultimately it needs to work for you too, I think. Yeah. And I think that's, for me, kind of core to now what we're doing is like we're not trying to change the world. We're trying to help other people change the world in terms of trying to collect people who inspire each other, who can do, you know, do their thing in their own way, but feel like they're connected to other people doing good things. And through that collective effort, then things will happen. But not necessarily one person saying, this is how the world should be, and I'm going to make it happen. <clears throat> yeah. As much as Elon Musk is doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the other nice thing about that is what we've seen is it changes people's view of what's actually happening out there, because the media is so powerful, right? So when you are constantly surrounded, like we often are, of great people doing great things, you're like, well, maybe what we hear isn't all, all bad, you know? Maybe there is yeah, lots of good stuff yeah, out there, and it's yeah. just not, it's not, it's not newsworthy, because it's not interesting, really. You know, the, the stuff that sells papers and, and sells ads on TV is the stuff that scares us. So, you know, there's, it just gives it some balance, I guess, to hear these stories and meet these people to, for us to see, well, there's a lot of people who are frustrated with the way things are going and they're actually doing something about it. And that's, that's, that's nice to hear and gives people confidence. Let's make happy sexy. But one thing we found also recently is like we've had community builders themselves coming to our events and so. I think that's maybe one of the next steps for us is really to like share what we've learned built in mm. this community over the last five years, not just to people who want to start businesses, which ultimately are communities in their own right, but people who have the uh, capability to impact a lot more people through the communities they're building. So whether that's you know a business community in a town or in you know, schools or whatever it might be, like if we can empower those people, what we've learned and, and share that you know connect them with the right people, then the ripple effects hopefully are a lot greater. So like Carlos said, it all comes back down to sharing um, knowledge and collaborating really and, and trying not to hold what we have tightly, which is yeah. what can happen so easily, right? It's just yeah. you know, defend what you know. And yeah, and it feels like there's a there's a sort of human nature response to that. There's a, there's a psychological bias called the Ikea effect, yeah. which basically yeah. says you value the things that you've spent time <coughs> and emotional labour having to build yourselves and, and whatever. And so, you know, you see that idea as better than somebody else's idea and you see it as yours and you want to protect it and all yeah. that sort of thing. Whereas I think that spirit of generosity, I mean, that's going to help you achieve that purpose, right? Because yeah. then you've got all these other people who can then go and run their own communities and start to work in that same kind of way and you start to see that permeate much further. Yeah. Um, let's talk about productivity before we finish. So it feels like it's something that, you know, that, that discussion we were just having about the co-working space there mm. feels like you're thinking about productivity and how do I say no to stuff and how do I switch off and get my head my head down into stuff and so on um, how do you guys think about productivity how do you approach productivity how do you what, what are the things that particularly works for you around that subject so for me the killer is context switching so if, you, if I can reduce the number of times I have to change what I'm doing during the day mm. then I'm always the more productive so uh, so one thing of course is the email thing and I, I've purposely try to look at email less and less there's the whole morning and afternoon trying to routine which is a killer for the, the number of unread messages on my inbox yeah. but uh, I have found that anything that's important will end up coming to me at some point and I don't have to answer every single email straight away so let's get specific about that then so what hours of the day would you say right I'm going to delve in and, and be in, in my inbox versus outside of it I try if possible late morning that's when I, I think I try and get about half an hour to an hour there and then probably late afternoon, early evening to just to clear any stuff out of the place nice. if possible. That's the, the ideal. Okay. 
you know there's these things like people what people say and what people do yeah um but when i do that I, the hours in between <laughs> i feel a lot more productive i'm always trying to check stuff so that's one thing um and, and a certain level of kind of batching stuff just things that seem to be similar type bits of work so if there's lots of small bits of work having those batched together then it feels like oh amazing I've done 10 things 10 really small things 10 things so you're designating an hour for right I'm going to crack through these Can't 10 crack those, and yeah. that means for most of the rest of the day you're not switching context between exactly. just heads down in this one thing now or something else yeah, yeah. exactly well yeah it fundamentally, fundamentally comes down to context switching mm. reducing that as much as possible Nice. I think you might be the first person who said context switching as the as the first thing, which I like. That's good. I think like, maybe the part of the reason is we do so many different types of activities. Yeah. You know, and that's one thing we struggle with as a team. I think in terms of productivity is, you know, um, one day we could be like planning for a trip to India and like you know plan- working with people out there over the phone or Skype or whatever. Um, or like serving our online community and doing an online webinar and, and or hosting the space or doing a workshop and so that's I think where this comes in the context switching thing is, is so important to us in terms of how we can limit that because otherwise you, you know, hang on a minute I'm, you know if we just I always get jealous of people who are just building an app for example I'm not saying it's not difficult but my point being it's it's focus right and so the whole idea of doing one thing well it's like you know we never quite know that. Um, that said, you know, there's variety. So, you know, we kind of, I think that we go in cycles almost of times when we're really busy and run up to an event and times when we kind of have, like at the moment, which is a, a liminal period between a big events and we have time to work on the other stuff we're doing, a bit of housekeeping as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the challenge is always like how to find flow as a team, not just as an individual. I think that's one thing we're still um, working on um, in terms of, like when we come together like because now we have a, access to another space and it's like when when's the optimum time to work together some of us like being in a certain day some of us like you know working at home certain days so um, that's the challenge I think is like how you can because you know I, me and Carlos can say right this is the way I work best in flow and like I lock myself away for the whole week it's like okay great but that doesn't really work for everyone else mm-hmm. so how you compromise almost to make your productivity sort of blend with everyone else um what I've found useful lately is, again, having the puppy, bring it back to that. <laughs> useful for me is having the morning to work on my own stuff without having to sort of have meetings and stuff and trying to keep the afternoons clear for calls and, and meetings. Um, I just find if I get into a meeting or call early in the morning and the day just runs away with me. So just having the decks clear, having a coffee and just kind of like plowing my way through most of the stuff I need to do that day gives me a feeling of, yeah, I've... I've made progress so even if I don't get the other stuff done I've, I've done the hard things and do you um, try and agree that within the team as well so that's sort of your your personal policy is kind of like morning versus afternoon as the two boundaries there like does everyone else have the same I wouldn't say in that, kind of in that rhythm but we do have a daily sort of stand up on Slack so like each day we'll post yeah. what we're working on and, and what that does is highlights if anyone else needs input on stuff so it might be that yeah they need something you know, Sophie on the team needs my input on something so I'm not going to hold her up to the afternoon I'll try and step in but yeah generally so that happens first thing in the day that might do or it might be something that can wait um, no the, the slack oh the slack thing day. is yeah first thing in the morning is you know 9am everyone's on there saying what, wherever yeah. they are you know what, what they're doing unless we're you know doing a big event but generally that's that's what we try and do um, and then we have sort of bi-monthly retros now where we kind of look back over the last two weeks and say what's gone well what's not gone well again looking forward to almost working like two week sprints okay um, but again part of the thing is for us 
when we go away to a big event, we come back and then we have to kind of get back into yeah, that rhythm again. Yeah. So that can be challenging. Um, or, again, how the team keep busy when we're away. So trying to make sure that they keep that sort of productivity up, which is always a challenge. I think one of the biggest challenges that we live regularly, and I'm guessing a lot of startups live, is it's never a static situation. <coughs> things change, things arise. And so you, you can get into... You, you can try and impose a process in inverted commas. You can try and set the structure... But it's also balancing that to being reactive to a situation. And when you have, I think particularly with startups where you're not sure what the business model is and actually something isn't working anymore, to keep on with that thing, essentially banging against a brick wall, uh, is probably going to be the worst thing, the last thing you can do following the structure. So it's, it's, it's a really hard balancing act, I think, for people, particularly productivity in startups, from getting into a rhythm but also being aware if something isn't working we yeah. have to change everything and being flexible yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's hard I think that's really hard and we're always trying out new ideas right so you know mm-hmm. the online community that we have we said we have people paying to be members of the online community we're still um, working out the value of that what is it we're creating because um, we've got members but we've got lots of different things that come in under it and we're trying to sort of zoom in on the really important stuff and so we're experimenting a lot so yeah that can come at a cost of some time on other things but at the same time it's worth doing because obviously if there's an opportunity there and it's you know what needs to be done then it needs to be done yeah um, so yeah particularly with some of the online stuff we do nothing stays the same right so new players come in there's new ways of doing things we're learning stuff all the time you know in terms of online tools and techniques for building businesses both online and offline um, productivity tools you know all these things we share right you know we use Slack we use Trello mm. we use a lot of these tools so what we try and do is share what we know to the community yeah. because a lot of these people are starting out and have no idea how to balance all these things they've had a boss and a job and suddenly yeah. they're given all this freedom and they're like <gasps> it's kind of overwhelming so. yeah freedom can be terrifying as well right yeah, yeah. too much possibility nice life, yeah but it's also an overwhelming thing so, I so actually quickly I was just say before I forget um, we talked about curation of the events before I actually think one of the things that's really helped us is to curate other stuff too for the community so like curating the right tools curating mm. the right talks to watch or the courses to do for our community who have that freedom to then go oh, I trust these guys I'll let them tell, tell me what I need right Right. Yeah. Mm. Sorry. no so it actually follows on from that I think the biggest challenge for early stage entrepreneurs and probably entrepreneurs who are like in the thick of it is am I doing the right thing right now because there's a hundred things I could be doing now mm. but is this the right thing and so f- for me and this is something I, I really I kind of dismissed before when I first heard it Mindfulness is an amazing tool to actually really be present with what I'm doing now and not worrying that there's 99 other things I could be doing. Because then if you get this done, then you feel a lot better. Yeah. But so being able to be really focused on that thing, get it done. Again, trying to stop the context switching in your head while you're trying to think about something. So, yeah, there's technology tools. It's a tool in your brain that you can use quite easily. Your brain is the tool. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we always tell people that, you know, particularly after the events we do, we go out to nature a lot. As, yeah. You know, if you've got a thing you're trying to crack, probably just walk away from it. You know, just go for a walk, take the dog out, whatever it is. Go, you know, whatever mindfulness, mindfulness is for you. Some people, mm. I, don't, I can't just sit and meditate. It just doesn't work for me. But whatever activity you can do, which will just help you to just forget about what you're trying to do. So what's your alternative to meditation then? For me, I, I walk a lot, yeah. So yeah. I, I live on the downs by the sea, so there's lots of great opportunities for walks. Um, I swim, I do Pilates. Uh, I think it, for me it's an activity which is like not 
too difficult, but you know, it, it lets my brain yeah. sort of switch yeah. off. Um, but yeah, I think it's different for different people, right? It's finding that for you. Um, I would say, um, yeah, it's different for different people. But fundamentally, it's it's always tied to emotion, emotion of a worry or a fear that something happening that you should be doing that you're not doing right now. So, being able to, and I had, and this is related to a lot of the bleak stuff that we come across when we're doing happy startup stuff, is that feelings are just things. They're nothing to do with you. They just they can come and go. So you've got this feeling of anxiety that you're not doing something. So if you can somehow get to a space where you can feel it, let it go, and then carry on. Mm. That for me is like the biggest tool. You're doing something, and you think, oh shit, there's this other thing going on. If you can, yeah, all right, I'll carry on doing this now. Yeah. Then that for me is mindfulness because you're not not thinking about that thing anymore. It's when you think about that thing, and then that brings another thing, and another thing, and then the next thing you spiraled off, and you're no, you're not doing your work anymore. And what's your? Do you have a shortcut to that, or a, a thing that you? Need, I, th- need I think to it's a practice. Sure I that. think it's really a practice, yeah. and I don't think it's something that it's one of those things for me. Is like you do you try it, you practice it, and at some point, at some point, it will just switch, and you're able to do it naturally. And it's that thing like, okay, and stop and carry on. Mm. But I think it's just awareness, like you said. It's just awareness that awareness that a feeling is isn't something that needs to own you, right? So it's like yeah. that anxiety isn't you, you know, all the yeah. time. It's just something that's hit you, and you can kind of try and let go of it. Um, I think for us, like you said, it's just a, being around other yeah. people, offering sessions that do this stuff. You kind of it is a practice, right? It's, it's a meditation. I think it's the, and I can remember when I first learned meditation. There's that whole thing: clear your mind. Fucking do that. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> so, what I then found a really nice analogy I had was is, is your mind is a train station and thoughts and feelings are trains that go through it. And what you're trying to do is not get onto a train. And so, how can you just sit at the station and not get, carry, get carried away with anything? Mm. And being able to sit for five minutes and never have a single thought that dominates that process, I think that's the first step to training not to be always context switching in your brain for sure I also think that whole thing of clearing your mind and not having a thought is one of the easiest ways that people fall off Mm. the wagon with meditation because it just it makes it so pressured and so difficult whereas yeah like you say it's it's that whole thing of just noticing thoughts and then seeing them and then letting them go I think for me is the that's that's, that's the process right it feels like Mm. brain I can't remember it's quite as brain clutter or something but it's yeah clearing out the the, the garbage from your head yeah. is this, it? one hack I heard someone talk about was related to the don't think of a grey elephant type yeah. thing it's like think of lots of things think of as many things as you can in your head and you try that and then suddenly it just becomes this white mess of nothing so it's like the active pursuit of trying to think of things think of as many things or as a list or something like that it just then suddenly just oh, wow. okay. That's, melts away that before. Okay. Yeah. so you think of you're trying to trick your brain into like, yeah. you're trying to like fill your brain with thoughts so activity. you go grey elephant red rhinoceros and just try and list like a hundred things and try and think yeah. of them all at the same time and then you overload your brain basically and then your brain just gives up and just goes I'm letting go of all of this yeah, <laughs> exactly. I just want to think of nothing wow okay that's like it's like the opposite it's like the opposite of, of mindfulness technique yeah. that gets yeah. to the same place that's fun isn't yeah, it yeah that's what like, I've had like cramfulness one thing I've done a few times and I never do enough but when I've done it I always find it really powerful is a flotation tank mm, kind of okay I've one. not done that there's actually one in Brighton yeah. um, of course there is right like, yeah, like, <laughs> well, the weird thing is I used, to, I used to have them in London and then we moved to Brighton there wasn't any mm. um, but there is one now um 
but it's a really weird sensation because you're it's probably the only chance unless you go into space of being like completely there's no you can't feel your body you can't yeah. feel the air temperature is the same as the water temperature so it's almost like all your senses have just been sort of sort of withdrawn so you're just in the moment and just your thoughts take over right and I've had the most mad sort of visualizations and, and thoughts come into your head or memories and stories from years ago and you know mm. really bizarre kind of brain patterns that happen there so um yeah that's a bit of a left field one but yeah maybe worth uh, worth trying out for those that oh, don't, like, don't, hate, don't hate being in little small chambers <laughs> yeah I might have to check that out um, the other one for me aside from just meditation and, and that kind of mindfulness is, is yoga mm. and in particular yin yoga which is where you get into very, one very deep stretch and you hold that pose for a long time <laughs> and in that pose so often I'll do it with my hamstrings because my hamstrings are I'm a runner but my hamstrings are really short so I'm always trying to hips and hamstrings is what my yoga teacher says do you want more hips and hamstrings yeah <laughs> every week and so when we've done yin yoga around stretching that in the in the fascia which is the sort of the tissue uh, in between the muscles and the ligaments and stuff it's where all of that all of those um, you know brain chemicals are held and the and the sort of hormones of emotions are held right? yeah. so like suddenly you in the stretch and suddenly you just want to laugh really manically <laughs> out loud or you right. want to cry or it just wow it sort of opens up all of these you you re, like revisit all of these different thoughts i guess wow from sort of different releasing those parts of your life. And, and you release them yeah, and they, emotions yeah and you feel totally drained afterwards it's a really odd all right thing you just i mean you just do that for half an hour so it's not like it's not meant to be laughter yoga but it ends up being it no it's definitely not supposed to be (laughs) laughter yoga and you know my teachers said that she's regularly happy will just will just cry like all the way through in yoga class because it's just it's physically bringing these things to the surface and and removing them and stuff okay it's a very uh, restorative cleansing type approach sounds like we need it at summer camp (laughs) don't need (laughs) more crying at summer camp I need less. Um, anything else you want to say before we finish? I kind of I had this whole list of questions which I always do. And I feel like it's been so we've just bounced around topics so beautifully. Mm. I haven't even looked out. <laughs> I think it's been just fascinating to to connect and mm. uh, talk around these different topics. Is there anything? Uh, any sort of <coughs> final words of wisdom? Because I kind of feel like you have such an access and wealth of data bank here mm-hmm. by the fact that you're always talking to founders yeah. who have either found that or are looking for that and yeah what are your kind of key principles around that before we finish I think the first thing is don't do it on your own you know that's the first thing you're not going to achieve any change or successful business I think if you try to do it on your own we tried for a few years running our agency doing it on our own locking ourselves away almost from the outside world thinking that we didn't need to go and, and sort of interact with others too much um, so we learned the hard way that it's not the best way to do it mm. Um, you can learn so much by being around other people on that journey with you. Um, and for me, there's finally people who are where you want to be, right? So um, one exercise we did at the start of summer camp was, you know, seeing someone, like having a physical sort of set up of where people are. And it was a bit odd, but it was like, if you're happy and rich, stand over here. If you're miserable and rich, stand over here. If you're, um, So yeah, people had to stand on axes. And then the idea was being like, look at people who are like two ahead of you, you know, two yards ahead of you and say, what have they done to get there? And so if you're looking to align your sort of passions or your purpose and your what you want from life with your business and still stay same in the process like find people who are doing that already because then you can just through osmosis find out you know how you can behave like that um, mm. so that would be the thing for me is there's that saying of you you end up being the sum total of the five people that you interact with yeah. the most or something exactly is, you know, 
I think you can dilute that idea slightly and be yeah. slightly more organic than that. But yeah. But so all I can base it on is what we've learned and what I've learned and just from other yeah. people who are on that journey with you, and then you kind of inspire each other and you get belief from each other and confidence. So yeah, that's my two pennies worth. No, I think that's <clears throat> relates to that. If it's about ego, sometimes when we think we have to do things all ourselves. Um, I think one thing for me that I've just I've learned over the past few years of doing this stuff and talking to people was kind of the secret to, to real productivity uh, and people talk about plans and structure and eating bits of the thing and climbing a mountain and the phrase that I heard was inspired action and it comes from a place of space mm. so you somehow just intuitively feel what's the thing that needs to be done and because if it's not just a, a conscious I'm going to do this thing it's like I really feel I need to make this happen then it happens super quick uh, and I, I relate that my personal experience is like just writing I'm not I don't enjoy writing a lot but then sometimes there's a thought and a feeling and a need to write and it happens you know, within half an hour and I've got a whole thing there and sometimes when I think I need to do something it takes me weeks to get mm. it done and I think whether it's building products, designing events, writing a blog post, doing the washing up, it's like when you're inspired, yeah, it will you become super productive. When you're not, no matter how many tools you've got, it just doesn't really. And is that? Quickly. Is that? I mean, that's a great philosophy, and I'm just wondering if that's something that you can proactively plan ahead for or is that something that you retrospectively diagnose so you look back and say well the reason I didn't do that is because I wasn't inspired or you know that that's the reason that has dragged and that's the reason that that was great or quick or whatever or is, is it, is it, how, how do you use that as the compass as well how do you, how do you I think there's I would, I would say I guess this is my guess really it's both because um, knowing when you're not inspired and knowing when you are inspired mm. will give you a way to plan ahead <clears throat> But then I think it's when you are trying to make something happen, the whole idea of not forcing it, basically. Yeah. Creating space. <clears throat> so if you have an idea and you think it's a good idea, how can you create space to know it's a good idea? Make sense? Yeah. But it's also, like, um, so there's a workshop we've done where we had to like list all the shoulds. So say we've got a list of things to do, right? Yeah. Which, which ones of those I should, right, I should do this, someone wants me to do it, something that's almost landed on my plate, um, or I need, no, not I need to do it, I, I feel like it's something I had to do. Um, so there might be things that you're planning out that actually don't, they're going to feel like hard work because there's something else, someone else's idea of what you should be doing. Um, so for me it comes down to like energy and excitement almost, is like we tried to have fun at the heart, like one of our values is not make it fun, right? If it doesn't feel fun, why are we doing it? And so yeah. we always have to keep checking in ourselves like, I'm not sure about that. What is it? just maybe it just doesn't, no one wants to do it. It doesn't feel fun, right? It doesn't mm. feel like we want to get excited about it. So if we're not excited now, then we're not going to be excited when we're knee deep into it. So, likewise, with all the stuff that you've got planned on your list, and I do this all the time, it's like someone sent me an email, and before you know it, you've just got this list of things that other people want from your day, right? And it's like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't have the energy for that. So, yeah, I think it, it comes back to that, surely, as well, of like, yeah, trying to lose the shoulds. I think when you're, when you're doing something, truly creative and, and this is like this is second hand knowledge from there's a guy called Charlie Davis who does some really good stuff about clear ideas there's a guy called Lawrence Shorter author of a book called Lazy Guru who's, who we worked with 
and and it's kind of, and there's several other people who who kind of say, say similar things, and I've never really quite got it because I think it's just being lazy. <laughs> actually, what I have got is that the creativity and the um, effectiveness comes intuitively. It isn't just a ten point plan. It's a feeling. It's uh, it's a you know, kind of embodied action. And then, and and it comes from this clarity. You, it, you can see it, you can touch it, you can taste it, you can feel it, and so you know what needs to be done to make it happen. Uh, and I think a lot of plans these days don't carry that. They just carry. All right, we need to be there. Why? I'm not sure, mm. but that's the right thing to do, whether it's a business <laughs> or a project. But if at least one person can say, "I know what it smells like," I can describe it to you where, what it's like to be there. Then I think that's where inspired action comes from. And I think. <laughs> Entrep- you know, we get a lot of entrepreneurs saying, "Oh, I'd like to start my own business, mm. but I don't know what to do." Yeah, and they force it, and they yeah. say, "I need, I need an find- idea." I need an idea. <laughs> and actually, maybe, had an idea. Yeah, maybe the thing they need to do is not think of the idea and just talk to a load of people mm. and be around a load of people, and then at some point they're like, "That's what I want." Because yeah. I feel it and I know it and I can touch it and taste it. Or maybe they're not an entrepreneur, and maybe that's fine too. You know, so we have people come to our events who have that pressure of like. I don't need an idea and they come and they don't have the idea and other people have got ideas and they're building their businesses but some of those people end up just either being part of the community and just getting a buzz off that or they collaborate with someone else and maybe they're the right hand man and they're the the brain the operations of it or whatever they're not the ideas person so there's always benefits of being around it but if it feels right do it that's the thing you say so you know if you don't you can't put your finger on it just go and there are people who can force it they can make amazing businesses just through through pure strength of will and you know the Gary Vaynerchuk yeah the Gary (laughs) Vaynerchuk of the world they can do it and that's cool I'd like to be a bit lazy with it yeah (laughs) (laughs) try not to be too stressful with it Uh, and maybe that will you know maybe I'll live a bit longer because of that Mm. Um, so I think it's there are there are various ways to do this but if you're lazy (laughs) if you like to enjoy the time where you're at the moment making living a bit more intuitively can help Mm, I think lazy productivity is a lovely place to, <laughs> to conclude and finish up. Yeah. Uh, tell me how people can find out more about Happy Startup School and <clears throat> everything you do. So the happystartupschool.com is our website. Um, we've got loads of stuff on there, blog posts. We put a lot of stuff out for free. So talks from our events, um, links to all the programs that we run. Um, happy Startups on Twitter. Um, yeah, I'll let you, yeah, so Happy Startups on Twitter, Happy Startups on Instagram. Uh, happy Startup School on Facebook um, and we're on Medium Medium is actually our and main Medium, of course. it's not a question people answer like what's your Medium handle mm, but um, yeah. Medium is our main blogging platform well it's our main route to reaching people actually yeah. so Medium um, the Happy Startup School is a publication on Medium um, so we share all our stuff on there and that's how and we, we'll share the links to that article that I was talking about earlier on yeah. get, getbeyondbeauty.com so people can get a link to that and Brilliant. find you guys there as well so. yeah. excellent yeah thanks so much for taking the time this has been oh, amazing fun. no thanks really for fun. having us and it's a privilege to be here yeah. yeah and I'm looking forward personally to Altitude in June it'll be awesome really yeah unknown and awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> cool thanks guys <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So thanks again to Lawrence and Carlos for doing that. And just following on from the theme, really. So we had uh, Mark Williamson from Action for Happiness on the previous episode just before Christmas. Uh, and now we're having the Happy Startup School. And then the next episode is actually going to be me doing a talk at Action for Happiness. So on a kind of very similar theme, talking about balance, uh, the title of the event was Beyond Busy. So we, we get into a lot of stuff about work-life balance and uh, some of the more subtle uh, mindset shifts around productivity as well in the next episode. So um, I hope you're going to uh, make sure you subscribe and uh, stay tuned for that in a couple of weeks' time. We'll be back on a pretty regular schedule from now on in 2018. So every couple of weeks, new episode dropping and uh, more information at getbeyondbusy.com. Getbeyondbusy.com. You'll find show notes, links to everything that we talk about in the show, links to all the previous episodes, RSS feeds, everything basically all the stuff that you need uh thanks also to mark stebman who's my producer on the show and also thanks to think productive who are the sponsors of this podcast if you are interested in the work of think productive we run a whole range of workshops to help boost your team and your personal productivity uh so check out thinkproductive.com thinkproductive.co.uk if you're in the uk and around the world on various different sites in the us and canada and australia and everything else but thinkproductive.com will get you there uh, so that's it thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you in two weeks time for the next episode take care bye for now mm-hmm.